Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We like to, on a regular basis, kind of circle back around some of the basic, I don't know, tenets, uh, frameworks, beliefs, systems, structures of the garden, especially for those who are uh, new to us or joining us in, uh, in the last little while. And um, particularly amongst those kinds of conversations, we want to engage over the next few weeks in probably uh, an extended and in-depth maybe conversation on who is the Holy Spirit uh, and how does he um, operate in the life of the, of the church. Uh, and so uh, this morning, I've been tasked to kind of do a, a, a kind of 40,000-foot flyover of uh, Old and New Testament uh, to look at, um, and we'll be dipping into these in, in greater detail over the next uh, several weeks, and looking particularly, we spent a lot of time thinking about and, and working on kind of, I, w- I would argue, maybe the, the main Uh, or central focus of the Holy Spirit, which is to make Jesus great and to help us look more like him when we're done than when we started. That's really the ultimate work of the Holy Spirit. And we want to look at that um, now kind of from from, uh, uh, one aspect of that. uh, Jesus, the New Testament makes the case that Jesus was a a man of the Spirit who did what he did in the power of the Spirit, who did what he did because the Holy Spirit had come to rest on him and dwell upon him. We'll look at that text briefly this morning. And so he did some pretty extraordinary things, not simply so that people could get caught up in the extraordinary things, but so that they could learn what the Father heart of God was like, so they could learn what it will be like when the kingdom of God comes. And uh, so, the, so the kind of the back half of this series is going to focus on those kind of extraordinary supernatural ministry gifts that the Holy Spirit um, gave to Jesus and enables in the early church and enables in the church throughout time and enables in the church sitting here this morning. Uh, primarily, again, not so that we can Snapchat the moment of the work of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, but so that the gifts of the Spirit, the, the, the signs and wonders point beyond themselves to the wonder of who Jesus is and that we can now become more fully like him. That's the, the hope, at least, of this series, a continuing conversation uh, to, to look at this. And so to set this in frame, in other words, I guess I, I want to say uh, we'll be moving really quickly through a, 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 a whole series of texts. We'll begin with Genesis chapter 1, which is where everything starts, uh, obviously. And in these three verses, we see the loving interaction of the, of the Trinity, including the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Um, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Almost the image here that it develops elsewhere in the Old Testament is like a midwife. Like the very environment, the very atmosphere, all of these images come together 
and into that um, sacred space created by the hovering, resting, dwelling, infilling, environing Spirit of God comes this word, let there be light. And the outcome of this creative dance, the Father speaks, the Spirit is the environment in, into which the word is spoken, there was light. So already in three verses in the Old Testament, we have a sense of how the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, operate in collaborative, cooperative relationship with one another to produce things that didn't previously exist. We ought to expect those kinds of things to occur when we are followers of the Trinity, right? So this, this, this sets the frame for how the Spirit operates in collaboration with the Father and the Son uh, in, in, in which he creates the environment within which the Father can speak the word can become an, uh, an incarnate and active. So this is the, the, the Trinity in action. Uh, and and uh, by the way, while I'm at this, please notice that what this means, spirit hovering, spirit uh, brooding is, an, is another word. That it's the same word that's used to talk about a, a, a mother hen uh, nesting on, on, the, on the eggs, right? It's the same word that's used there. Please notice what this means then, among other things, is that the spirit is the space that occupies, that is between the, the atoms of a molecule. The Holy Spirit is where you think nothing is. The Holy Spirit is what or who fills what we think of as empty space. The Holy Spirit is the one who holds the molecules together, prohibiting the electrons from zooming off into space. It's not just the gravitational pull of the proton, if you will. It is the Holy Spirit who holds everything together. Now, my physics might be off, so somebody correct me so I don't screw it up for the second service. But if that makes sense to you, Please notice what it means is you exist in this current and present moment as a gift of God. Your existence is signed, sealed, and delivered in the work of the Spirit. You are, Paul says, held together by this word. In fact, you are a word spoken empowered by the Spirit. Does that make, make sense? So, so the Holy Spirit is the, uh, uh, the Francis Chan calls him the, the forgotten God. Uh, others uh, uh, refer to him as, the, as the, the, the mystery or the silent or the shy, uh, although that probably is less helpful. Uh, God or part of God but I want you to kind of get the framework to begin here so that as we move through the Old Testament, uh, the, these, these, these patterns of self-destruction that we take on ourselves uh, work against uh, the Holy Spirit who now 
is, is pushing back in, the, in the, 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 the spirit of life. He enables life. He comes to empower individual people uh, for, for work in, in, in ministry. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, uh, we go one step further. The Lord God formed a man from dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The same Hebrew word here, ruach is used as in Genesis chapter 1. This is the Spirit of God, the breath of God, that breathes into this pile of dust and brings it to life. The man became, as a result of that intersection of material and spiritual, dust and deity, the, the, the dirt and the very breath of God, the Spirit of God, the man became a living soul. So the Holy Spirit is the very essence of life itself. He is the very life of God in our lungs. He is God present with us. He enables existence to breathe in and breathe out is a gift of the Spirit of God who is in us. It is a reminder that God is with us. God resides in us. So Paul says, be being filled. Keep breathing in and breathing out of the Spirit of God. So as we move through in Genesis chapter 3, everything goes crazy. Um, and we, we, but we notice that the Holy Spirit following after that is relentlessly moving us towards life, towards health. Apart from enabling life, he comes in individual moments to empower individual people for specific tasks on, on the way to a broader journey. So, for example, we look in Exodus chapter 31 and verse 2 and 3. It says, see, God says, I've chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Ruach, the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills, and particularly the skills that he's speaking here are skills of craftsmanship, architecture, art. So when an artist, a writer, a poet, uh, a musician speaks of being inspired, this is what they're talking about. They might not use the understanding. Their inspiration might not be precisely what Bezalel here experienced, but please notice the Spirit of God is the one who empowered the artist to create the, the, the beauty, to create the textiles, to create the textures, to blend the incense, to, to build the structures of worship. That's the work of the whole. We saw it evident this morning. As, as Yeah, we got a set list. Pay attention to which way the wind is blowing. We'll move back and forth fluidly in and out of verses and songs. Who does that? A skilled musician? Yes, empowered by the Spirit. Do you see what we're after? And, 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 and this, is, this, is, this is part of what the Spirit does. He comes to empower, to gift, to equip uh, artisans for the work of creativity, but not just those, those folks. For example, if we look in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, it says this, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit, the Ruach of the Lord, came powerfully upon David, and then Samuel went back to Ramah. What is he doing? He's empowering David, who was going to be the new king of Israel, for David's role as a monarch. 
So the Spirit comes. David, we can see this through the book of Judges. We see it through uh, the uh, major and minor prophets. The Spirit of God comes to rest on a person to empower them for a specific task, to speak a word, to correct a king, or for a specific time. We see this in, in this particular instance uh, with, with, with David. I don't know about you, but I think we need more women and men empowered of the Spirit speaking in due season the word of the Lord into critical political and military environments and situations. That's something, by the way, worth praying for. That our brothers and sisters would be able to set aside political partisanship enough to be able to get into the places of power to be able to speak a fit word from the Lord empowered by the Spirit into those environments. It does not, nor did it in the Old Testament, guarantee that the word of God would be heard. It does, however, necessitate the hearing, the speaking, maybe more specifically, of the word of God. Yeah? So that's, that's one aspect of it. This, this pattern repeats judges, deliverers, kings, prophets, time and task. Now the goal here is not that these individual people uh, be held up as the, as, the, as the spiritual ones. And unfortunately the culture was so fragmented and damaged that when anybody moved in this way, they developed a reputation. But let's be clear, Genesis 1 makes it clear. The rest of the story of the Old Testament makes it clear. God is not interested in simply empowering individual persons for specific things. He wants all his people to breathe deeply of the environment of the kingdom. He wants all his people to be filled with his spirit. That's the goal. That's, the, that's the, 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 the thrust, the telos towards which God is working. He says as much in Joel chapter 2, when everything has gone sideways, these words spoken have been fundamentally ignored. Here's what Joel says, speaking on behalf of God. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Sons, daughters will prophesy. Old men dream dreams, young men see visions, servants, both women and men. I will pour out my spirit in those days. There's coming a day, and I would argue, Joel would argue, Peter will argue, is already occurring in which the spirit of God is being poured out upon persons regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of ethnicity. This is critical. And, and, and remember, not for the sake of saying, I'm one for the sake of saying, y'all come. You feel the difference? It's critical. This is not so that we can wave the banner of our spirituality. If you do that, you've already lost the game. It's so that your being filled with the Spirit can become an impetus, an invitation, a, a turning over of the dirt in other persons' lives so they themselves can be filled with the Spirit. On the way to that outcome comes Jesus. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, notice this. The angel answered, speaking to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the Holy One who is to be born through you will be called the Son of God. This is a direct echo of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. 
where the Spirit of God enables the life of an individual person, in this case, Jesus, who will be the Son of God. Jesus then, from conception, is a man of the Spirit. From the beginning, he is called a Son of God by virtue of this conception. In this, he is unique. However, the Holy Spirit, remember, is not just for the empowerment of Jesus to be and do what he does, The Holy Spirit longs for all of God's kids to be home in time for dinner. So his missional thrust, look at Jesus' mission, how he defines it. All the people were were being baptized. Jesus was baptized too. This is Luke chapter 3, verse 21. As he was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Remember, this is... Is, is, he, is, he is already breathing from conception the life of the Spirit. That's how he's come to be. And so this secondary movement, movement is this empowerment for his life and ministry and intended to be a model for the rest of us who will follow him through uh, baptism, perhaps, into this new identity as the children of God. The voice came from the heavens and said, You are my son. Whom I love, with you I am well pleased. You can't tell it in the English, but the Greek form here of descending includes the idea of resting, indwelling. And the reason that's important is remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on persons like this, but for time or task. Here, Jesus is spoken of as one upon whom the come. The Spirit comes and dwells, rests permanently. This then becomes the model for the people who are in Christ, namely the church or the body of Christ. This becomes the, the model, and you can see what I mean. You can, I'm, this is really frustrating for me, as you can probably tell because I would love to spend a sermon on each of these texts. It would be worth doing, and I have done that on other occasions, but my boss told me I can't do that. (laughs) So then. You with me, though? Does it make sense? So the spirit is this individual person, spirit is the individual person who comes to rest permanently on and indwell Jesus for the work of ministry. Jesus says as much in 4.18, Uh, Luke 4.18, he says this, of himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Please notice the Holy Spirit doesn't just come to empower people to do stuff. He comes to empower Jesus to be someone through whom the Spirit can bring the kingdom. The Spirit can bring life. The Spirit can set at liberty. The Spirit can give sight to the blind. The Spirit can enable the lame man to run in the fields of glory. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do in the life of Jesus. And I would argue, as Luke does, in the body of Christ known as the garden church. That's what we're talking about, all right? So as we sit with this text, Jesus understood himself 
And Luke makes it clear that everything he did, he did not do because he was God incarnate. He did because he's a man like you, like me, empowered by, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's critical that you get this. Jesus did not do what he did because he was God. Jesus did what he did, including the miracles, including the anointed preaching and teaching, including the walking with people through patterns of their life. He did everything he did exactly the same way he expects you to, as a human being filled with the Spirit. It's critical you understand that. Otherwise, you're just Instagram moments with Jesus. Isn't Jesus cool? Let's have a, a top 10 Jesus moments. He's not intending that. He's very clear on this. Don't you all be writing stuff down when I talk if you don't intend to live by what you've just written. Do, do you see what he's after here? The Spirit does not come so we can admire Jesus from distance. It's so that we can follow him closely in the same Spirit. So here it's Luke picks this up. Jesus himself says it in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You, you start to get a picture of what God is up to from Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And we got lost along the way, but he has not forgotten our original mission. Our original mission is to bring the life-giving power and message of the Lordship of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Not speaking it first, but being it first so that our witness makes sense to people. This is what it, you'll notice the language here is very explicit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Not do witness, not speak witness first, be witness so that your words are supported by your life, empowered by the Spirit. With me? So they knew what was going on when a few days later, 10 to be exact, in, in Jerusalem, in the temple square, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the day of Pentecost comes. And they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heavens and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to them to be tongues of fire that then separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Later on in that text, we, we understand what it was they were speaking in tongues, the praise, the glory, the goodness, the wonder of God. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He doesn't come to talk about himself. He comes to talk about the greatness, glory, goodness, and wonder of God. Now, please notice, the day of Pentecost is this, is this, just this, this wonderful moment. It's, 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 the, uh, it's, the, it's the day on which the Jewish nation celebrated two primary feasts. The first one was uh, first fruits. Fifty days before, a seed had fallen into the ground and died on a hill outside of Calvary. Fifty days later, we celebrate the first fruits of that seeds falling into the ground of dying. 
as the church begins to rise. The Spirit comes to empower that body now gathered. So you hear the echo of Genesis chapter 2. Spirit comes to empower this body gathered for the life that was indicated in the seed following to the ground and dying. It's just beautiful. And, and in the intertestamental period, between the Old and New Testaments, the, the, the day of Pentecost became the day on which we celebrate the coming of Torah, the coming of law, the coming of the, of the way of the Lord to Moses on Mount Sinai. And most of the symbols, most of the images echo that. The sound of a rushing mighty wind. Where does that come from? Exodus the, 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 the fire falling, where does that come from? Exodus. Here's the difference. What happened when the fire fell in Exodus? Upon whom did it rest? Who shone with the glory of God? Moses. One man. On this day, when the Spirit comes, upon whom does the glory rest? Who begins to glow with the life from above? Everybody gathered in the room. This isn't just for one person to be empowered for time and task. This is for the body of Christ to begin to breathe deeply of the kingdom and live out, glow out the witness of the king who has been raised. So this, this, this idea, and there's so much more in there. Oh, Darren. Okay, so, so um, uh, I, I want to dig into that. Uh, and, 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 but the book of Acts is the, rest, is the rest of this story of ordinary, everyday lay people with no specific qualifications, being filled with the Spirit and doing extraordinary things, not again so they can have their own Instagram account, but so that God is glorified, the kingdom comes. This is what it looks like when, the, when God is on the move. And we are invited to participate in that. Look at this. Here's, here's how Peter explains what has happened. You ought to recognize the language. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Because they're, they're accused of being drunk. They're accused not of the Feast of, of, of Pentecost, but the, of celebrating the Feast of Bacchus, the Feast of the God of Wine, which occurred at the same time. This is, this is that feast. That's what these people... No, 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 Peter says. This, he says is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Apparently, these are the last days. And God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. Prophecy is not speaking about some future event. Prophecy is speaking God's immediate word into a current circumstance with the power of the spirit. And who gets to do that? Everybody gets to do that. Everybody gets to do that. This is one of the reasons why, and I'll probably offend somebody here, but this is one of the reasons why we believe at the garden in women preaching and women leading. If the Spirit is empowering a woman to lead, we do not want to get in the way of that. That's why. And as a classical Pentecostal, we've, we, we, I want to celebrate that, I want to honor that, and I want to find ways to empower and equip and release young and old 
male and female, everybody. Because in Christ, those previous distinctions by which we bifurcated our culture no longer obtain. In Christ. In Christ, empowered by the Spirit, attend. Young men, I'm really grateful that old men still have a couple things to do. I don't know about the dreaming dream things, but, you know, I was hoping like for maybe more like vision stuff, but, you know. Come on. This is a theology, by the way, of the book of Acts. This is what he's up to. This is where he's going. This is available to all of God's children to import, empower ordinary women and men for a life of ministry. This is what happens. And the, and the goal of the Spirit, again, this is so critical, is not simply so we can celebrate the goodies, but so that those moments can move us beyond themselves to the glory and goodness and wonder of God. What does it look like when our prayers are answered and the kingdom of God comes? Let your will be done. What does that look like when that happens? That's what we're after here. And of course, the Holy Spirit comes to, to do way, 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 way more than simply empower us for mission and ministry, although it does that. And that's what we'll be looking at for the rest, pretty much the rest of the series. Here's, I'm going to snapshot a bunch of stuff here, so, so, so follow me along. And in, in Jesus tells us the Spirit comes, John chapter 14. He says, I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world can't accept him. Because it doesn't see him, it doesn't know him, but you know him. He lives with you. He will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come to be me with you. You will never, ever be alone again. The Holy Spirit then comes as the spirit of truth to enable us to discern right from wrong at the very basic level, but also to discern what is more needed, better from best, good from great. Do you, do you, do you, anybody else feel the need for discernment these days? In the era of fake news, we need discernment because fake news is not simply a political reality. It's a game of manipulation to which we have been subject for most of you the rest almost all of your lives. You need the Holy Spirit to help you sort out what is true. Jesus said, I'm on it. Right? John chapter 14, verse 26, when the advocate, the comforter, the, the one called alongside to help you, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, please notice again, Trinity is in operation here, he will teach you all things, and he'll remind you what I have said to you. So you're going to remember what Jesus said, and you're going to know what it means. Anybody else grateful for that little tidbit there? Because Jesus said a boatload of stuff that I, I don't remember, right? And some of the stuff he said, I have no idea what he's talking about. Anybody else? Come on. So, so the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to remind you what he said, then I'm going to teach you what he meant. Just relax. You'll be fine. Right? John chapter 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I'm going to send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, here's what he's going to do. He's going to testify about me. And... You also have to testify, so he's going to empower your testimony. You've been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit supports the reality of the story of Jesus for those of us who have never seen the man in person in flesh. 
we have a dynamic living relationship with a man who has been gone from the planet Earth for almost 2,000 years, and he is as visceral, and he is as real, and he is as compelling today as he ever was. Why? Because the Spirit of God is on the job. And not so that you can have your Jesus and me moments but so that your life can vibrate with the living reality of a Christ who is raised from the dead who will empower you in your storytelling. I don't know, I was blind, now I see. Not sure what happened there, but I can introduce you to the guy who did that. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Please notice, I don't need to convince anybody that they're wrong. That's not my job. My job is to invite people to life. So... Not a surprise that the Holy Spirit is already on the job there, too. Here's the most annoying passage in the entire scripture for me. And it must have been for these guys, too. John chapter 16, verse 12. I have got a whole lot more to say to you, Jesus said. You've been blowing our minds for three and a half years, and we're not. No, no, yeah, that's just kindergarten, guys. We're just, we're just getting started here. I've got a whole lot more that I wish to say to you. You can't bear it now, but when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He's only going to talk about what he hears. He's going to tell you what is yet to come. So the Holy Spirit continues to lead us in truth, continues to lead us in the truth of following Jesus, of making him great. It's not a surprise that when I speak words of witness empowered by the spirit, it lands somewhere in an environment that he has created very much like he did in Genesis chapter one. So here's how the spirit is at work in the world to whom you are sent in love. Look at it. Verse eight of chapter 16. When, G when the spirit comes, he will convict the world. I've changed the language there. I'm not sure what the translation is. Yeah, it, it, the, the word convict is, is, is more accurate there uh, because conviction always has, by the way, if you're interested, Conviction always has hope built into it, right? That's why I don't like this prove the world wrong language. It's not an accurate translation for one thing. Sorry, I should not do this. But anyway, um, and it's the difference between uh, conviction always has hope built in. And condemnation always has shame built in. That's why we, we are not, we're, the best we can do is condemn the world, which is, by the way, how they view us, Right? So, so let's get out of that business. There is a force in the universe whose job it is to condemn. You don't want to be playing for his team. Just saying. So we trust the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world, and he convicts the world specifically concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The one sin, please notice, that the Holy Spirit is concerned to convict the world concerning has nothing to do with their lifestyle, has nothing to do with their belief systems, has nothing to do with the structures of their morality. It has one thing in focus. They don't believe in me, Jesus said. See what happens? We get messed up in this and we condemn the world concerning the things about which, while the Spirit is concerned, he's not concerned first. Once he gets them believing in Jesus, all of the rest of this stuff gets addressed but you don't get to belief in Jesus by addressing this stuff. Okay. 
Then he says concerning righteousness, because there actually is a right way to live, and I'm gone, so you're going to need some help with this. Uh, and and uh, concerning judgment, because at the end of the day, the game's already over. Judgment has been assigned, and the world, the prince of this world, stands condemned. So, what does the Holy Spirit do in us? Romans 8, 1 and 2. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why not? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. That's what he does. Furthermore, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against stuff like this, there is no law. What's he talking about? The Spirit comes to bring us to life and then to shape us towards Christ-likeness. What you've got here in these nine words is a thumbnail sketch of the character of Jesus. That's what the Spirit comes to empower at the fundamental level. But more than that, he comes, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to give the church gifts for the sake of building up the body. Different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit who distributes them all, not one better than the other. Different kinds of service, it's the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them, in each and every one of them, it is the same God at work. To each one, remember, tongues of fire resting on everybody? To each one is given the demonstration, the manifestation of the Spirit. Not so that they can celebrate their spiritual gift, but so that they can contribute to the building up of the body. It's always pointing beyond itself. So the Spirit empowers each of us in various ways and at various times and in specific ways for ministry as needed and directed. Most of the spiritual gifts at the garden will be used not on Sunday morning here, but on Monday morning as you go to work. Why? Because he loves the world and he wants his body to be empowered and activated in that world. Now here's the, here's the thing. Uh, I, I, I don't know all fully the makeup of the church, but I'm guessing there are some of you who have come in to the garden having been um, beat up and maybe spiritually abused, if I can use that language, in other environments and sometimes in which the Holy Spirit has been to blame for what people have said to you and how you have been um, uh, wounded and crushed by those things. And I, I think it's significant, as Darren was praying for us this morning, and he shot an email uh, off to me and, and uh, Rihanna, uh, in, in guiding our ministry time, we want to pray specifically uh, for those of you who may have been damaged in other settings and in other environments and other places. Uh, we can't promise we're going to be perfect, but we do want, at the very least, to acknowledge the pain, and particularly for women who have, in Jesus' name, been crushed in the expression of your gift. I need to say to you, to the degree to which you will permit me, I'm sorry. That was wrong, and it's not too late to stand back up again and put your shoulders back and lift your head up high and speak out the word of the living God given to you. 
Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.